Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So good to see you in the house of the Lord. You that are watching online, so glad you're with us today. We've had reports in from Germany, Afghanistan, all over North Carolina, Virginia. So glad you guys are with us today. Whether you're here in person or online, we're so thrilled that you're able to be with us. Can we start with a little survey this morning? I need to find, I need to find a jock, male or female. I need to find a jock in the house. Okay, here we go. Who can throw a football 10 yards? Come on, show me some hands. Come on, 10 yards. How about 20? I got a 20? Mark can do 20, come on. Tanya, you can do 20. <laughs> How about 30? Throw football 30 yards? Got a few of those. How about 40? All right. How about 50? Are we getting close? Got a 50. How about 60? Got a 60? Got a, okay, we got a 60 in the house? Okay, anybody beat 60, 70? Okay, tell you what. Show me what you got. <laughs> what? You don't think you, can, you can't throw this football 60 yards? Why? Why won't this go 60 yards? Are you telling me that what's inside the football matters as much as the football itself? Maybe more? Let me ask you another question. I'm going to put that just as a reminder. Well, I'm going to throw it on the floor, and then I'm going to put it up here as a reminder. Um, how long can you keep a commitment? How easy is it for you to make difficult decisions? How well do you roll with the difficult punches that life tends to throw at us? Answer is the same. Depends on what's on the inside. What's on the inside has more to do with how you deal with life than what this shell really is. Here's how Jesus said it, and this is the promise that he made to us in John chapter 14, verse 16, 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, counselor, advocate, uh, attorney, person that goes before you, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Remember that. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. Jesus is, of course, preparing his disciples for that day that he's going back to the Father to prepare heaven for us. And he's saying, I'm not leaving you alone. I know you guys have gotten very accustomed to us doing life together and ministry together and traveling together, but I'm not leaving you alone. Uh, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit when I get to the Father, and he's going to be with you. And if you think we've been close during this season, you wait till the Holy Spirit gets here because I've been with you, but he's actually going to be in you everywhere you go. In fact, he actually, Jesus actually said it was going to be better. John 16, 7, he says, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. For those of you that are joining us today, perhaps for the first time, we're kicking off a whole new series today that we're calling Third Person, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. The reality is that our God is a triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all co-equal in the Godhead. And don't ask me to explain the Trinity to you. It blows my mind when I try, but that's the reality. Uh, the, the sad reality is that we know a lot about God the Father and we know a lot about God the Son, but often God the Holy Spirit is neglected or even ignored. In fact, it can be a subject of of even division among uh, people who are followers of Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend the next four or five weeks, five weeks during the month of August, looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, and we're going to try to figure out what the Bible actually says 
about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I need to say three or four things real quick before we get into the series, just kind of set the foundation for all of this, and I hope you'll lean into it. First of all, I am vividly aware that our congregation and certainly the, the online congregation, which can number in thousands of people, we've been averaging about 2,500 online every week. And, and in the early days of the pandemic, we were averaging 6,500 online every week from all over the world. And so I realize that we come from every denominational background you can think of. And this subject can be confusing. It can even be scary. The reality is that there's a whole lot of counterfeit stuff out there done in the name of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen from anybody with experience? But here's what I need you to understand. Um, if there is a counterfeit, that's not reason to run away. That's a reason to understand that the two things. One is you only counterfeit something that's real and you only counterfeit something that has value. You don't counterfeit $3 bills because there's no such thing and they wouldn't have any value if you did. You counterfeit $100 bills because they're both real and have value. So the fact that there are counterfeits out there in the name of the Holy Spirit is not a, way, a reason to run away from this third member of the Godhead. It's a, it's a reason to dig deep and find out what the Bible actually says about who he is. And so in preparation for this series, I've gone back to the drawing board. I've gone back to the Word of God, which is the final authority. I've tried really hard in putting this series together, not to just take the preconceived ideas or the things that I've been taught, you know, in seminary and, and that I've preached over the years and just say, okay, well, yeah, I could put a series on the Holy Spirit together. Let me just do something here. I've gone back to the Word. I've actually studied 200 passages in the Old Testament and 300 in the New Testament. I've pulled it all together in my head best I can, as weak as this brain is, to say, okay, what does the Bible actually say? I refuse to load it down with a lot of tradition, but I'm not going to water it down if that's what the book said either. So here's my challenge to you during this series. Please don't be so spiritually timid that you'll actually reject what the Bible says because somebody else somewhere else told you something else. At the same time, don't be so intellectually lazy that you accept it just because Jim said it. The challenge is during the month of August, let's dig into the Word of God. Let's find out what the Bible actually says about the Holy Spirit. The, the next thing I want you to know uh, is, is that, that my target in this series is not actually even your head. My target is your heart. What I want for you is to come to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. What I want for you to do is come to that place where you recognize who he is, equal, co-equal member of the Godhead, and trust his work in your life. That said, let's get into it. I really just want to set up the series today, maybe teach you a few things that you didn't know, maybe remind you of some things you already did, but really set up the series so that we can really dig deep over the next four or five weeks together. Today, I, I want to show you, kind of in general terms, what you can expect to happen if you decide to embrace what we call the spirit-filled life, what you can expect to happen in your life according to Scripture. And then, before we do that, in fact, I want to take you on the basic journey to get to that place, okay? So, so basic journey to get to that place where, we, where we're walking in this fullness of the Spirit and then what you can expect to happen when you do. Is, is that worth a few minutes of our time? Okay, let's, let's get into it together, okay? First of all, I think there are three steps Clearly that out. You can take them simultaneously if you want to. I don't care if you spread them over time, you do them instantly. But I think there are three dynamics 
in Scripture that we need to be aware of. And dynamic number one is I ask Jesus to come into my life. I ask Jesus to come into my life. The beginning of the Spirit-filled life is when I ask Jesus to come into my life. Hear me. Whether you realized it or not, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. Whether you knew that or not. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself joins with our spirits to say we are God's children. You hear what he said? He's saying it's when our spirits connect with the Holy Spirit that it's possible to even say that we are children of God. In fact, Paul was stronger than that in verse 9 of that chapter. He said, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But I like the way Paul put it to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 13, 14. He said, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. In other words, you accept Christ, you ask Jesus to come into your life, and the Holy Spirit is a a deposit. It's a down payment on the inheritance you're going to get when you get to heaven. And so the fact that the Holy Spirit is resident in your life is, is evidence of what's coming in the future when we are no longer looking through a glass darkly. Now, again, for any of you, this is a brand new subject and you get a little bit nervous about all of this ookie-dookie spooky stuff, you know. Hear me, this is simple stuff. Even little children understand this stuff. Some of you children that are here today, you, you can remember the time that you said, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Even children understand that. It's not complex. And, and no matter what age you are, If you've committed your life to Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about because Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then when we accepted Christ, we came alive. Something happened. Something clicked before the Holy Spirit took up residence. Remember what Jesus said about the world? They don't even recognize him. They're not even looking for him. But the minute you accepted Christ, those people who were a bunch of holy rollers, weak people who needed church, all of a sudden... They're your brothers and your sisters, and you can't wait to spend time with them. There's just something triggers, something happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And sometimes it's even strangers. I used an illustration from our lives in the first service this morning, but Kim, who's in Virginia taking care of grandkids right now, sent me a text between services and told me about an experience she had just yesterday in Walmart in Virginia. She walked in and encountered a lady who was hurting. She was in trouble, and another lady came along, and she said immediately, my spirit bore witness with that lady, and we started talking, and before you know it, we're in Walmart praying for this lady that's hurting, and she said, I I encountered a prayer warrior. She'd never met her before, didn't know her from anybody, but somehow her spirit bore witness with hers, and the result was they were able to minister to somebody's hurting. That's the kind of thing that happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence. It doesn't just connect us with God. He connects us with one another. And if you've walked with God, you know what I'm talking about. So step one, I, wanna, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these. I, wanna just, I want you to just get them. Step one is what? Ask Jesus to come into your life. That's the beginning of this journey, okay? So let's be honest. That can't be the whole story because when you accept Christ, you get forgiveness and a fresh start, but you bring all the baggage of your former life with you. 
Can I get an amen? You bring all the hurts and all the habits and all the hangups and the lifestyle issues and all, you bring all that stuff with you into this new relationship with Jesus. And so the result is that you get pulled back and pulled back and pulled back. I got saved 22 times in the first year. Every time they give an altar call, I get saved again because I just was drawn back in, back in, back in. Uh, obviously, I'm joking, but at the time, that's what I thought I was doing. So there's something that has to happen. Something that has to happen. It's the second step in this journey. And that is that I ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. Not just come into my life, not just forgive me of my sins and give me a fresh start, but actually be Lord. And I know we don't use Lord and lady and that kind of stuff these days, but we're just talking about who's in charge. We're talking about CEO, the big kahuna, the, the boss, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're saying, Lord, I tried it my way and it didn't work and now you've given me a fresh start. So this time I want you to lead. This time I want you to show me the way. The Bible has a term for it. It's actually called sanctification. Big old fancy theological term, but it simply means, here's how Jesus prayed it. John 17, sanctify them by that truth. Their word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You see what Jesus is saying? He's praying to the Father, and he said, okay, Father, you sent me here for a purpose. In my case, you sent me here to take on the sins of all mankind, of all generations on the cross, and then to bring me back to life, resurrected from the dead, so that the power of God is available to people. That's the purpose for which you, which you sent me, and, and my meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me, and the you know, book ends on his life. I must be about my Father's business. On the cross, he says, it is finished. His whole life was defined by, this is why the Father sent me here. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to send them, and I want you to set them apart for service as well. That's what the sanctified means in the Greek. It just simply means to be set apart, to be cleaned out, to be made available for God's service. So in step one, we're asking Jesus for a fresh start. In step two, we're asking Jesus to be in charge this time. Now that sounds simple, but it's, it's harder to do than say, can I get an amen from an honest soul in the room? Why? Because we still got this thing, this big old long theological word that nobody likes to use, isn't popular anymore. It's spelled, I'll spell it for you because nobody wants to say it out loud. S I N. Key letter in the word I. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now, whether I deserve it or not, whether it's healthy for me or not, whether it's good for me or not, whether it'll damage other relationships or not, whether it impacts my relationship with God or not. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. And so it's one thing to say, Lord, I want you to lead. I want you to be in charge. But the reality is that can be a journey. It can be a challenge. And there's a whole commitment that has to be made. Paul had that journey. Paul had that struggle. In Romans chapter 7, he said, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. It's plain where the trouble is. What does it say? Sin still has me in its evil grasp. So we've all been there. 
even as followers of Christ, we wanted to break free and we just couldn't. The good news is, is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to keep falling back into those old patterns. You can be delivered from what Celebrate Recovery calls the three H's, the hurts, habits, and hangups. You can be. And the reason I know you can is because Paul said he was. Verse 24 and 5 of Romans 7. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So in step one, you're saying, Jesus, forgive me. Give me a fresh start in step two, which again, you can do instantaneously, but there's a second journey and that is, oh Jesus, would you be in charge? Would you be Lord? Would you help me deal with my selfishness? Adam and Eve were, were, were created holy and then chose sin. And ever since then, we're born in sin and have to choose holy. And so we have to deal with those realities. I've had the privilege of, of praying with a lot of people over the years who came to this point where they were exhausted with the journey of trying to live the Christian life and continuing to get pulled back into the old stuff that they knew was destructive, but they kept getting pulled back into it and, and coming to that place where they wanted to be free. Our oldest son, though, is the most poignant example of this. Um, Andrew, in his teen years, ran from God, ran from the truth, uh, this is public testimony. I'm not sharing confidential information at all, but, but he went into the drug world for a while and, uh, and eventually came back to Christ, but still struggled. He still struggled until one day he and I were sitting in my study and, and he said, what do I do, Dad? How do I? It was almost like he was quoting Romans 7. He said, how do I do, break free from this thing? And I said, well, son, have you made Jesus, have you put Jesus in charge of your life? Um, I don't know. Well, then let's do that. Let's just, let's ask him to be Lord of your life. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. And he said, how do I do that? I said, just give him, just give him everything. Just give him everything. And, uh, and he said, okay, what does that mean? I said, just everything that comes to mind, give it to Jesus. And so we sat there for a long time, weeping together, father and son. As he said, Lord, I give you my shirt. <laughs> I'll give you my, my bedroom furniture. I mean, he's just going to everything that came to his head. He started just, just, Lord, it's yours. It's yours. I don't want it anymore. It's yours. You can have it. Well, I knew we were getting to the heart of things when Andrew got down to, Lord, I give you my music. I mean, he had designs on being a rock star. He was an amazing musician. Lord, I give you my music. And then he said, one of my favorites, he said, I give you my hair. And I went, Hair? Andrew had, anybody that knew Andrew, had the most beautiful hair. Most women were jealous of Andrew's hair. Just absolutely gorgeous hair. And I don't care whether his hair was long or short. It made a difference to me. But for him, it was a point of pride that he said, you know, I'm just, I'm giving it to. Lord, everything. Lord, it's yours. And in that process of saying, I'm submitting who I am to you, Lord, God began to set him free from many of the struggles of his life. I didn't say he never struggled again. We still have our flesh. We still have our humanity. But we can win the battle of still being in evil, in sin's evil grasp, dominated by sin and death, is the way Paul put it. We can be free. I'll just bear with me for an honest moment. I still don't understand why, um, why God took Andrew to heaven before I was ready. But man, I know where he is. I know where he is. And I watched him as a man 
marry and have children and be a leader in the kingdom of God and in his family. Because he asked Jesus to come into his life, but he also asked Jesus to be Lord of his life. I said early on in the message that this subject of, of spirit-filled life can be divisive at times, but the reality is that what I've talked about so far hasn't been, it's not really divisive to anybody. Everybody that knows Christianity knows this journey. It's the third part that becomes a challenge. Because this is where it starts stretching beyond our abilities. There, I don't know if you've heard the old story. Um, there was a, a, a pastor in a church uh, on a certain road, and then right up the road, a piece, a strip club uh, came into business. And, and, and so the pastor went to his congregation, and he said, guys, I don't know about you, but I would love for that place to be out of business. And, and so let's just pray. Let's pray that God will put that place out of business. And so they just prayed fervently that it would be put out of business. And the very next week, a storm came, lightning struck, and burned the building down. The strip club owner sued the church for the cost of the building. When they got into court, the judge said, okay, well, you can state your case. He said, well, we had a perfectly good building, met all of the fire codes, there were no wiring problems. The only reason that our building burned down is because that preacher and his congregation prayed and lightning struck our building and burned it down. Therefore, they're responsible to pay for my building. Judge looked at the pastor and he said, well, pastor, what do you have to say? And the pastor said, oh, come on, judge, it was just a little prayer. And the judge said, wow, well, this is a first for me in my career. For the first time in my life, I now have a strip club owner that believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who doesn't. <laughs> you can let that one wash over your head later on if you want to. But the fact of the matter is when we start getting into this ookie-dookie spooky stuff about power, it can be really challenging. It can be scary. And so lean in with me. Again, let's don't be so timid or lack courage or lazy that we won't hear what the Bible says. Let's hear what the Bible says about step three, which is I ask the Holy Spirit to fill my life. Here's how Paul put it. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that, does that sound pretty straightforward to you? Do you guys like this? That sound pretty simple to you? Sound like a command? <laughs> it's don't, instead, be filled. That sounds pretty straightforward to me. So let's make sure that we've got uh, an understanding of what he's saying. Let's look at some key words here, okay? <clears throat> the word drunk in that passage in the original manuscripts, Greek, uh, is methusko, and methusko well, it means what you think it would, tipsy, out of control. You, you, we all know when we're talking about in the natural, somebody who's, who's drunk, uh, they're out of control. The, the alcohol is controlling their words. All of their inhibitions are gone. They can't drive a car because they can't focus. I mean, all that stuff is true. Uh, and that's what he's saying. Don't allow yourself to get to that place of intoxication. And then he says, don't let it happen because of, of wine. The Greek word is oinos. And this is part that's important to understand. Oinos can be translated literally wine or intoxicants. So if anybody tells you there's nothing in the Bible that says it's wrong to get drunk, just point them to Ephesians 5.18. It's pretty clear. He says, you get drunk with wine, it's going to ruin your life. That's pretty clear, if you ask me. But oinos actually uh, can mean uh, figuratively spirits. 
Not just literally spirits, but figuratively spirits. And so what Paul is saying is don't allow yourself to be intoxicated by the spirits of this world. Galatians 5 lists a lot of those spirits. It's the spirit of anger. It's the spirit of, of gossip. It's the spirit of jealousy. It's the spirit of, you know, all of those things are the spirits of this world. And we've all known people that have allowed those spirits to define how they act, how they think, what they say, who they relate to, how they relate to people. We've all known people. We have been people who have allowed the spirits of this world to define our actions in life. Sit real still and nobody will know that you're guilty of it. I'll just confess it. I have. I've been there, done that. And so Paul's saying, don't do that. That stuff will ruin your life. Instead, choose to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God and it goes on to say, which is going to lead to psalms and hymns and thanksgiving and healthy relationships. And, and we're going to unpack chapters 5 and 6 later in the series. But I want you to see that word filled because it is the Greek word, pleiroo, that literally means to be empowered by. So pleiroo is not a measure. It's not filled in the sense of how much. Because we've already said, the Holy Spirit took up residence when you accepted Christ. It's not about getting more of the Holy Spirit. Frankly, it's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. That's what it's about. It's about saying, okay, I want the empowering agent in my life, not to be the spirits of this world that will ruin my life. I, in fact, want it to be the Holy Spirit of God that will lead to all these wonderful things. Now, what I need you to understand is that, is that separate from salvation. And some people say, well, wait, wait a minute, this, you know, it's, it's a one-time deal. Well, I, I don't know. Here's what I know. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing the book, and here's what he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Who's Paul writing to in Ephesians 5.18? He's writing to faithful Christians. He's writing to the saints. He's saying to the people who have already taken steps one and two, they've asked Jesus to come into their lives and become Lord of their lives because they are the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, now, now, now I need you to make sure as you move forward that instead of allowing yourself to be filled with the spirits of this world, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that operate in your life? For now, I just want to take a minute and shift gears and give you a glimpse into some of the things you can expect to happen if you decide to embrace this command of God by Paul to instead of being drunk with the spirits of this world, be uh, filled with, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Three things, quickly. Number one, you can expect movement. It's kind of like a sailboat that's out on a, on a, a lake, but there's no wind. What's going on with the sailboat in that case? Well, it's dead in the water. Unless it has another motor or something, it's just dead in the water. And, you know, you can go out there and say, boy, that wind was really blowing yesterday. Okay, I'm not going anywhere right now. Boy, that wind's, it, it, they say it's going to blow tomorrow. Cool, whoop-de-doo. I, I need it to blow right now. 
What I need you to hear me say is the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing all the time. Jesus said, I've been with you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be in you and with you every moment of every day. The sad reality is that there are an awful lot of people who have named the name of Jesus Christ. They've said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but because they've never embraced the idea of being filled with the Spirit, empowered by pleuroo, by the Holy Spirit, they're kind of going through the motions of Christianity. They're kind of, you know, well, I went to church. I'm, you know, I sang some songs. I put, you know, my tithe in the offering plate. I, you know, I served. I got joined a serve team. I'm even in a small group. Uh, but, you know, movement, change, growth, development. No, I don't really see that going on. And I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is available to help you move forward in your faith, move forward in your relationship with Jesus, move deeper into him. And, and that's what you can expect when you finally say, okay, I'm done with being empowered by the spirits of this world. I'm ready to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second thing you can expect is influence. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about just a little bit of influence. <clears throat> I'm actually talking about kind of DUI level of influence. Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever been in a room, maybe you were in a meeting or something, and other people sitting around, and somebody walked into the room, and before they said a word, you went, well, I don't know what happened to them today, but boy, there's something going on here. You, you ever done that? You walked in and say, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but I think she's going to blow. You know, just, you know, you know that, uh, that, that he or she is, is being empowered right now by the spirit of anger or the spirit of frustration or the spirit of, uh, of jealousy or of aggravation or of fear. You know there is a spirit of this world that's influencing them, and the result is they're influencing the room. We've all been there, done that. We've all experienced that. We've probably all been that person. Paul's talking about a lifestyle that is so influential in a positive kind of way that it permeates the atmosphere almost like tear gas, but it's not painful. We're talking about tears of joy, tears of healing. I've had people over the years to come in and say, I don't know what it is about this place, but man, I walk in here and I start crying right away. What's that about? And the answer is, it's not about the building. It's about there's some people here who've decided to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and have asked the Holy Spirit to be in charge of their lives. And the result is you're walking into the influence, the healthy influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't be embarrassed by those tears. Let them flow. Those are healing tears. Let them flow. The third thing, and this is what we'll be talking a lot during the series about, is you can expect power. Yes, you can expect movement, no longer stuck. You can move. You can expect influence, influencing in a positive way, both the people around you and the world around you. But you can also expect power. In fact, in that study that I recently did, it was reinforced for me some of the things that perhaps I had learned in the past. And that is that there are a number of English words, particularly in the New Testament, that are all translated from the same single Greek word. Depending on the context, there's a different English word there. And it's words like power. Ability, authority, mighty works, those are all English words translated from the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. 
And so what he's saying is that when you are pleuroo, when you are filled with the spirit of God instead of the spirits of this world, he brings dynamite power for you to accomplish what God put you on the planet to do and to be who he made you to be. Philippians 2.13, one of my favorite uh, verses of scripture. God is at work in you to help you, what does it say? Want to do and be able to do what pleases him. Well, what pleases the Lord? What pleases the Lord? He said, I've come to give you life and that life in all its fullness. I put you on this planet on purpose, with a purpose. While you were still in your mother's womb, I wrote the days of your life, purpose and meaning. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of the ways the Holy Spirit's power shows up. We're going to talk about uh, next week, uh, Holy Spirit power to increase our intimacy with God. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's role in worship and in prayer and the way we live our lives. The next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's power to deepen our character. We're going to unpack Ephesians 5 and 6 in, in great detail and understand the character traits that will begin to develop in us, including the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 as we walk in this Spirit-filled life. The next week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit's role in empowering our, our service to the King. We'll talk about spiritual gifts and, and the role of spiritual gifts in serving the Lord and all the things that come in accomplishing more than we dare to dream or think or ask. We'll unpack that in great detail, but I will tell you now that every great ministry, every major ministry in Scripture that you read about preceded an infilling by the Holy Spirit, including Jesus himself who, who went down to be water baptized and then the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and lit on his shoulder. And then the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well. Please, the early church launching in Acts chapter 2, preceded by the, the power of the Holy Spirit showing up. The first leaders in Acts 6, establishing deacons and leaders, men full of the Holy Spirit. Paul launching his ministry, Acts chapter 9, filled with the Spirit. You see it over and over and over again. We'll unpack that in detail that day. And then finally, he is the power to enlarge my influence for God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, after the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses, you'll be able to share what you found in Christ with others with a power that goes beyond your words or your persuasiveness. It'll go forward because the Holy Spirit's giving you power to be witnesses. I got to close. I really want to say one more thing though, if I can get back to, to that kind of pastoral uh, moment with you, um, kind of for the whole series. Um, there's one more thing Jesus said I think is critical. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who, what does it say? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's an experience I've had, and I want to challenge it right up front in case it's crossed your mind. Um, when somebody starts talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there are always a few who will say to me, Pastor, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't know. Uh, you know, that's okie dookie spooky stuff. I, I don't know. If I'm nervous about, you know, this Holy Roller stuff. I'm a little afraid of that stuff. But, you know, I guess if the Bible says it, I'm open to it. Well, thank you. But Jesus didn't say he's available to people who are open. 
He's available to people who are, you want to say it or you want me to? Hungry. Hungry. Did you get it, son? People who are hungry. You did, didn't you? Hungry. I don't know, Jim. I don't know. How do you get hungry? Well, you hang around good food. That's how you get hungry. You know, I can go home and Kim can have some biscuits in the oven, good old lard biscuits. Make fun of it if you want to, but I start smelling a lard biscuit and I don't care if I just uh, ate a whole meal. I'm hungry. My, my saliva glands start rolling. My olfactory glands start firing up and I can't wait for those biscuits to come out of the oven, put some butter on it, let it melt all over them and just, yeah, clog my arteries good, but I got to have one. Amen. I got one amen. You start hanging around good foods, you'll get hungry. So which appetite are you feeding? You know, if you spend all your spare time watching TV or, or, or reading business journals, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But every now and then you've got to stop and ask yourself, which appetite are you feeding? Part of the reason that I'm bringing this series to you is because this past year, the Lord began to stir in my spirit that I've spent a lot of time in the last few years learning how to lead. I got my doctorate in leadership. I, I wanted to be an effective leader. And God's given me opportunity to lead in a lot of different settings since then. But somewhere along the way, shared with our staff earlier this year, somewhere along the way, that simple hunger to be filled every day with the Holy Spirit just kind of got lost in the shuffle of it all. I remember those early days when I first came to Christ. There were three of us who came to Christ about the same time, three friends, right in the high school days, early college days. One of us, Wayne Ellis, may even be watching now. Wayne watches this online a lot, Wayne and Rhonda. Rhonda's my cousin and just precious, longtime friends. The three of us would, Wayne was the preacher's son, so he had a key to the church. We'd go to the church and we'd stay in the altars till two, three o'clock in the morning on Friday night. Just hungry to be in relationship with God and to go deeper with Him. God's been stirring that in me lately. Glad you learned all that stuff. Glad you got your degree. Glad you're a good leader. Glad you're all that stuff. But don't forget to be hungry for me. Somebody reminded me on Facebook this morning, one of those memories that popped up and they shared it. And it's a quote from me. Don't you love it when your words come back to you? It said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll settle for making you busy. And I went, ouch. So I'm praying for a new hunger for me and for you that the Holy Spirit will fill us up and create movement, positive movement, positive influence, and ultimately the power to be who he made us to be. Would you pray that prayer with me? Right here in this room, all over the world, would you pray that prayer with me? Not just for us as a body, but for me, for you. Would you pray that prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for loving us while we were running from you. Thank you for, for forgiving us 
giving us a second chance, a third chance, a 97th chance if that's what we needed. Every time we come to you and ask you to come into our hearts and give us a fresh start, you say, yes, thank you for being a gracious God. Thank you for being willing to, to take the lead. Help us to den with, deal with the sin nature that so often pulls us into our own selfishness instead of saying, I want your will to be done, not mine. And thank you that Holy Spirit, you are alive and well and ready to create movement, influence, and to release power. I want that so badly. For me, for us, for the world around us. We pray that it would be so and that that hunger would begin in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord. Thank you for coming and being a part of this. I hope you'll stick with us for the next four or five weeks. Even if it's your first time to the bridge, just give us an hour a week for the next five weeks and let's learn what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life.